good to see our brother Tim Wright back with us today. Tim, good to see you. Yeah. I would ask you to continue to pray for Joy Watson and um, little Hannah Wayman, um, Andrew and Miranda's little girl who's in the hospital. They're still running some tests to find out what's going on there, so continue to pray for them if you would. Um, oh, and if you came in late, you might not have heard the word, Titus Edward Delmott was born this morning, and so uh, Jordan has already christened him with his initials, Ted. He's now Teddy. <laughs> so, praise God for that. Um, what else? A la last Sunday afternoon, baptism. Thanks for coming out. We had 130 people drive out to Wabunzi and 11 people baptized and hamburgers and hot dogs. Um, and a bunch of you were there of my best friends it was just like the best ever so uh, next time we do one of those if you miss that one you you don't want to you don't want to miss it so maybe today's a do-over with zubilation if you missed that last week maybe you can kind of make up for it and go down to the zoo and ride the train or your children can ride the train um, I don't want you adults squeezing the children off the train and hot dogs or whatever is that right what happened to the goat no, it didn't work? Okay. All right. Never mind. That's another story. That's another story that only Jordan can tell. Uh, you never know what's going to happen at church. Anyway. All right. Joshua chapter 1 is our text. Let's get serious here. Let's get serious and start our way through the book of Joshua. We've got 25 years to cover. 24 chapters in 25 years in about 25 minutes. So let's see how he does. Um, the greatest story, if you don't have one of those charts, if you don't have one of the uh, booklets with charts and reading schedules and places to take notes, you need to get one of those. We're following God's unfolding drama. We're in Act 1, the provision of redemption. was started with the call to Abraham. And if you remember, the chart looks kind of like this. And this is how far we've gotten. We've gotten from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons. Joseph goes down to Egypt. People multiply. They give him a leader, Moses. They go to Mount Sinai. They get the law. And now we've lived in the dash for two weeks. Now we're at the land, which is conveniently broken into 12 squares because 12 tribes. Very good, 12 tribes. And we're, we're, the books that go along with it are up at the top. Joshua, we're going to go through one book of the Bible today, the book of Joshua, and it is the conquering of the land. Again, God is building a nation. If you're going to have a nation, you've got to have people, you've got to have a leader, you've got to have a culture, and you've got to have a land. That's where we are today. We're getting a land. That's where we are today. So, Joshua is a great book. It is a book of victory. The first half of the book, roughly, is the, is the conquering of the land, and the second half of the book is the dividing up of the land. So this is what's going on here in this. And Joshua 1 is one of my favorites and probably one of your favorite Old Testament passages. It's the great passage where the mantle is being passed from the baton, shall we say, is being passed from Moses to Joshua. And in chapter 1, and I don't have time to read all of this, but he's saying, listen, be strong and courageous. You remember that? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. That's what he says over and over again. 
and he says there, he says, and the reason we can know this and we can feel this and experience this, he says, I will be with you like I was with Moses. Notice at the end of verse, one, two, three, verse 5. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You go down to the end of verse 9. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now what is so great about that? What's so, what's so great about that is, the, is that when God goes with us, His power goes with us and that's what we see here where he's going to do powerful things and I think that's the 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 thing that just really um that that is so encouraging about God being with us is we can know his power And, and so this happened here but we're going to see all through the Old Testament and the New Testament we're going to see time and again the power of God and we're going to see that even to today, and that's what one of the things that one of the great themes that we're we're seeing as we're going through the Bible is unity. Remember the unity of the Bible all through the Bible and progress as we go along. There is unity and progress to the Word of God. Um, Francis Schaeffer wrote probably forty years ago in his book on Joshua, and he said this: "The power was there, and the power was the Lord's. The power is not in anything or anybody." independent of God. Let me put it on pause for a minute. He's saying here, he's, he's pointing out here, it wasn't Moses, it wasn't just Moses, it wasn't the rod of Moses, anything or anyone. It is the same power throughout the whole Bible, and God's power is not diminished, not diminished in our period of history. It is the same power, past, present, and future, end of quote, praise God. So, So much so that Jeremy Camp sings a song about this. Perhaps you've heard it on the radio. It goes something like this. That's it. It's the same power that was in Joshua, that was in Moses, but is in us today. The power of God. What an encouraging word. So, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2. They send some spies out, a couple guys out. They only send two this time. They send 12. They got in trouble, so they sent two this time, I think. And they, and they go and they, they search out the land and uh, they, they, they get to Jericho and they meet this woman named Rahab, which our Bible says was a prostitute. Some other writings that I read said she was a tavern keeper. I don't know. But what's interesting is what it says in verse 9 when she met these men. It says this, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear. Remember that thought are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab was an outsider who believed and was saved. And she hid the spies and got them to safety. She acted in faith. And if you remember when the walls fall down, her, she and her family had gathered in their house and to put a crimson cord out the window uh, so that everyone would know. And they were protected through this. And it doesn't stop theirs. She was one of those who was blessed when Abraham said, All the nations of, when God told Abraham, All the nations of the world would be blessed. Rahab is one of those streams outside of the nation of Israel where God brought them into the line. And so when you get to Matthew 5, Matthew 1, verse 5, we find out that she was the mother of Boaz who was in the line of Jesus Christ. Wow. Chapter 3, they're crossing the Jordan River. Not some little babbling brook. God wants everybody to know that he does these things, okay? So when they get to the river, the water was out of the banks this year. It's like a flash flood flowing down there. And God did the same thing that he did at the Red Sea, kind of a mini Red Sea. He opened it up, dry land again. The water stopped, and it just, you know, I wish I could have seen that. You know, the water's flowing, and all of a sudden, it stops, and the rest of it just drains out, and then they go across on dry land. Pretty cool stuff. Now, and then he says, save 12 stones from the river. And, and take these stones and put them out on the bank and make a memorial out of them. Because Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry land and it crossed the Jordan River on dry land. It says this in Joshua 4.24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Notice that, two things. The first one is that the peoples of the earth may know that the hand your Lord is powerful. The people of the earth need to know this. The second thing is he wanted Israel to fear the Lord. There should be that sense of awe and fear and reverence of God. Chapter 5, they entered the promised land and something interesting happened. They started eating the produce and the stuff that they gathered there from the land. And you know what happened? Remember that manna they've been eating for 40 plus years now? It stopped. Didn't need it anymore. God's not early, God's not late, God's always on time. He wasn't wasting his time giving them manna if they could go get the produce. Which says a little bit like that, if you can't go get the stuff yourself, I'm not going to rain it out of heaven. It says something about God's uh, work ethic, I think, and what he expects of us. Free of charge, bonus, material. Not even in my sermon, I just, just on the fly, just on the fly. We get to Jericho. Josh fought the battle of Jericho, you you know the old spiritual song? And Jericho was a, kind of a military outpost. And, and it wasn't this huge city that we think. I was reading about it. it, the, it the, uh, the, end, the, the land mass was about seven acres, which if you do, your, do the math and square it up, that means it was about 200 yards. On, if you make it into a square, it's about 200 yards on each side, two football fields on each side. So if you... To walk around it was roughly a half mile. Roughly a half mile to walk around the city on the outside. 
And so you, you may remember the story. And I'm not covering all these stories. You've got to read this stuff on your own. I'm trusting that you're reading it. I'm not giving you all the details. There's a lot of good stuff in here that I'm just flying over. They marched around the city, blew their trumpets every day, but they didn't say a word. Wouldn't that be eerie? The people up on the walls watching them there, and they, they're not saying a word. Because normally people would like, you know, it's like, you know, like cheerleaders, rah, rah, our team's the best, we're going to beat you, we're going to, except it's not like we're going to beat you in football, we're going to kill you, this is what they would say, you know, that's what they chant back and forth to each other, but no war chants. They just walk around in silence, which had to kind of be freaky, because remember what was already happening? Rahab said, our hearts are melting with fear. We heard about the Red Sea, we heard about what your God has done. We are shaken in our boots. And then they get there and they walk around and they don't say a word. And they're like, oh my goodness, what's coming next? To the seventh day and they march around seven times. You remember the story? They, they marched around seven times and then they blew their trumpet and then they shouted and the walls fell down all except where Rahab lived on the wall. And her place did not fall down because God did a miracle. He not only did the miracle making all the walls fall down, he made hers not fall where her family was hiding inside. I always wonder about those stories where there's some of her family members that says, ah, it's a bunch of junk. We're not going, we don't believe that. Who died? Because they didn't go in to the house. Just wondering. Doesn't tell us all. Again, we're seeing this theme run through the Bible. What's the big theme through the Bible? God works. Corollary to that, God works through people. God does not need us, but he does choose to use us. So you get to Joshua chapter 7. That is great victory at this mighty fortress of Jericho with the walls going up to the sea. And there's a little town up the road called Ai, which does not stand for artificial intelligence, just so you know. And they said, well, we don't need to send very men up there. And they didn't even ask God about it. They just sent a little group of men up there. And they got whipped and it says in the Bible that 36 men died 36 of the soldiers were killed and they came running back and, and, and notice what happened it says that in chapter 6 verse 5 it said at this the hearts of the people melted and became like water so it's turnabout remember all the people in Jericho were scared to death and their hearts were melted and they were full of fear now they go up to Ai they get soundly defeated come back and the Israelites are it's the same thing because they don't have God with them. They don't, they, they don't. They've been doing this on their own. How quickly things change. So Joshua falls down on his face all day before God. And we've heard this before. He says, oh Lord, why did you bring us here? We should have stayed in the desert. You know, leeks and onions back in Egypt. You know, all that stuff. And God to Joshua is pretty stern. He says, stand up. Get up off your face. Israel has sinned. Israel has sinned. We've got to say, quit your whining. Stop it. You, you know I promised to be with you. You should understand that if I, this is going down like this, something is happening. The only thing that will hinder my blessing of my people is sin. Get up and deal with the sin now. You're never going to be able to stand up to anybody if you don't deal with it. 
Now, the back story to this, and I'm not going to read it to you. You can read it. It's in the Bible. An Israelite named Achan had disobeyed God because God said, destroy Jericho and all that's in it except for Rahab and her family. Don't take anything from it. Destroy the city and everything in it. Achan did not obey. One man. One person out of a whole nation of, we think, approximately three million people. Well, it's probably, is it smaller now? I wonder with the desert and people dying and people having, I don't know. But anyway, we think about three million came out of Egypt. Achan took some things and uh, you know, he, he hid it in his tent. He was, he, he was thinking somehow that he could hide from God. Hmm. You know, back in the day, back in the day, the USSR shot a cosmonaut up into space, and he came back, and it made a lot of, made a lot of press and publicity that, and he was doing this. He was a representative of an atheistic regime, and he came back, and he said, I was up in space. I didn't see God. <laughs> I thought, yeah, but he saw you. <laughs> David tells us in Psalm 139, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the bottom of the depths, you're there. And it's just a reminder to us, don't, don't be trying to hide things from God. Sometimes I think if we, we think if we suppress something deep enough, some evil deed, some evil thought, some evil behavior, that somehow... You can forget it, and if you forget it, then maybe God will forget it. That is the deceitfulness of sin. It says this in Psalm 94, verses 7 through 9. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye? not see. In the New Testament, Jesus said, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Now, it's interesting what Achan stole. He took a beautiful Babylonian garment, it says, and a chunk of gold and a chunk of silver. And it says there, he confesses, when he confesses his sin, when he's found out, he says, I coveted them. Remember the Ten Commandments? There's that one about coveting, and that's the one we're like, covet. You know, it's kind of like one of those words you're like, we don't use that very much, do we? We understand stealing, we understand committing adultery, we understand murder. You know, you understand all this. Coveting, kind of scratching our head. Now, what exactly? Let me tell you what coveting is. Coveting is the basic foundation of all the other sins we don't talk much about covenant we should we covet before we do the other things before we break any of the other ten commands we have already coveted internally what only belongs to God or to another person it is then we externalize the sin then he stole he coveted and then he stole. And listen, it's a, it's a battle for your mind. All your sin begins in your mind. All my sin begins in my mind. It begins in my mind, and then it's, we act it out. Now, we understand the gold and silver, and the New Testament tells us the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We get that. 
what's this with this Babylonian robe? Well, the Babylonian culture, that was kind of like a high standard. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like driving a Tesla or having a Rolex watch. You see, if he got this Babylonian robe and he wore this around, and people would say, man, that Achan, he's quite successful. He's affluent. He's got a lot of acclaim, very prestigious. When we get over to the New Testament, 1 John warns us about the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. There is nothing new under the sun. From Achan to 2,000 years later in the New Testament, nothing new. Now, some of you may have pondered when Achan got judged for his sin, it says that Achan and his whole family were judged for Achan's sin. Why the family too? Now, let me, let me be very clear. There's a principle in the Bible that the son will not be punished for the father's sin. And I believe that. So, I got to think, I got to think, because Achan sinned, somehow they became a part of that. Perhaps they sinned by covering it up. We are not given all of the information. But knowing the rest of Scripture, they were somehow in cahoots in this plan and that's why they were judged. And remember, this is a serious thing. Because of this, when they went up to Ai, remember how many people died? 36. 36 men died because of the sin of Achan. You know, sin always impacts other people. There's always a ripple effect. Like when you throw a stone in the water, when you throw a rock in the water, there's always those ripples that come out. And when you and I sin, we say, well, it doesn't affect anybody else but me. No, 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 no. Your sin always has impact on other people. At the very least, it impacts your faithfulness and your effectiveness for God so that God could use you in somebody's life. Even if it doesn't direct another person directly, it affects them indirectly because you cannot impact them now because you are hindered by your own sin. We don't like to talk much about judgment, do we? You know, that's just not like, hey, what you want to talk about? Let's talk about judgment. There's a sequence of events that we see here that is applicable, and we, we're going to see this all through the Old Testament. We're going to see it in the New Testament. We see it to today in our own lives ad nauseum, just to be honest. God blesses us. We sin against God. God judges sin. If we return in brokenness and repentance, God restores us to the place of blessing. And we see this cycle. We're going to see this cycle again. We're going to see it oh, next week. I'm, not, I just, I'm, I'm kind of dreading next week we're getting to judges. And if you know anything about judges, it's just like God blesses them, they sin, God judges sin, God raises the deliverer, they return to God, they sin again. <laughs> it's just like, come on, get it, guys, let's... Every time I read it, it doesn't change in the book of Judges. Yeah, it's kind of like watching those movies. Like, I wish it didn't different this time. We're going to see this all through God's re 
redemptive plan. God is a holy God. God is a just God. Because He loves humanity, He cannot ignore our sin. God judges sin. God judges sin. Last week I talked a little bit about how people argue that um, God shouldn't have destroyed all those people. Why did He kill all those people in all those Canaanite people there where it says just go into it and, and obliterate them from the face of the earth. How could a holy and just and good God do that? And, and if you remember one of my conclusions, you need to remember this was for one place, for one specific generation, um, the time of Joshua, driven by a hopelessly corrupted culture over centuries of opportunities to turn back to God. They had a long time to turn back to God, and God kept dealing with them and dealing with them and dealing with them, and they kept saying no, 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 till finally they came to the end. I want, I want to throw out, I threw out some ideas about that last week. Let me add another one to this. I was, I was reading um, some, some material from uh, a Yale theologian. I don't quote Yale theologians very often. Um, I, don't even know if I, I don't even know how to say this guy's name. It looks like Miroslav Volf, who is Croatian, and lived through the ethnic cleansing and, and the rape, murder, and destruction of people and churches in East Europe in the late 90s. And if you remember that, if you're old enough to remember that, if you've read about that, they estimate that 200,000 people died during that time. So all these evil things that happen anymore, people are still evil today? You know, we're like, oh, we, we move beyond that. I mean, Hitler was less than 100 years ago. Seems like forever to us, less than 100 years ago. Anyway, watching that, this theologian, uh, Miroslav Volf, says he changed his position. He says, he says, I used to argue against the indecency of the idea of a wrathful God. But he says the horror of what happened to those people forced him to conclude, I could not imagine God not being angry. And he said this, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. End of quote. Now these are just man's words, but it makes you think, makes you ponder, kind of gives you another way of looking at things that happen in a different way. Now, this wasn't just Old Testament. I, I want to I I build on this for a minute. Turn to Acts chapter 5, if you have your Bible. Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, had sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, 
How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Now, just to be clear, Ananias and his wife owned some land. They sold a piece of land, and, 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 and then they, they gave the money to the church, and they said, we've sold this land, and we're going to give all the money to the church. And they lied because they kept part of the money. And so that's what Peter said. He said, listen, you didn't even have to sell the land. That was your choice. And, and, and you didn't have to say that you're given all of it. But they were puffed up with pride, and they did this, and they lied. And God judged them, and Ananias fell dead. And if you read the rest of the passage, his wife comes in a little bit later, and she said, did this happen? Yeah, this happened. Boom, and she drops dead too. And it says, great fear seized all those who heard it. Now, usually when we think about fear and God, we think, well, we shouldn't be afraid of God. We shouldn't fear God. He loves his children and all of that. But there's a point where the, if lack of fear leads us, if lack of fear of God leads us to disobedience and to make light of God's ways and God's truth, then, my land, we've made a mistake. We need to fear God. We need to fear God. We should always fear the consequences. We always should fear the consequences. I need to move on. Um, end of Joshua ends kind of with a, a challenge. Uh, it's it's kind of like the challenge that that Moses gave at the end of Deuteronomy. You remember that? He says, blessings are curses. You get to choose. You want to be blessed. You want to be cursed. You want to be blessed. You want to be... I, lay before, I set before you blessings and curses. Which do you want? Joshua kind of ends with that at the end of his life. End of his life. And, and, and Joshua's, Joshua's one of the great stories in the Bible. He's 110 years old, and he's about to die. And he challenges the people to stay on the path. And it says this in chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. So the word in, in, in the Hebrew is for serve is also to worship. It's the idea of your face to the ground toward. So it's a powerful serving, worshiping, bowing before, humbling yourself before God word. He said, you want to follow some of these Sumerian gods, the Egyptian gods, the Amorite gods? You can do that. Or you can follow the true and living God. But this is the one that we are going to serve. I was watching um, Kurt Warner's uh, acceptance speech at the Pro Hall of Fame. He was just inducted into the Pro Hall of Fame. And, and it's a, it, I don't know if it's on YouTube or whatever, but if you ever can watch it, it's a really powerful story. He, um, he, he told how he, he sat on the bench in college football for four years. And he looks around at all the other pro players there and so, how many of you guys sat on the bench for four years? <laughs> and they're all going, you know. For four years, got married, had some kids, was stocking groceries in a grocery store 
before he got a chance to play some arena football and eventually made it to the bigs. And if you are a football fan, you know roughly 15 years ago, he was the MVP of the Super Bowl, and, and now he's in the Hall of Fame. Now he's in the Hall of Fame. It, it, was, a, it was a great speech. And he gave credit to everybody else along the way. But I was, I was listening because I knew he's a professing Christian. I was waiting to see. I was waiting to see if on this side he was going to remember. Because when he won the Super Bowl, when he won the Super Bowl, he got up at the stand, and you know they accept it and all this, and the first words out of his mouth were, Thank you, Jesus. Fifteen years later, seven kids, don't know what he's doing now. He gets to the end of the speech. It's just, he gets to the end of the speech and he says, I've been thanking everybody else, but there's one, one person I haven't thanked yet that has made all the difference in all this. And I just want to say, once again, thank you, Jesus. And he walks off the stage. I look at the life of Joshua. And this word here when he says we're going to serve God, it's the idea of continuous action pointing back to the past. So he's basically saying, I have chosen and I will continue to choose to follow God. What a legacy. Joshua stood as the first Israelite general against the Amalekites after crossing the Red Sea. He stood with Moses when all the others worshipped the golden calves. He stood by Caleb when the other ten unbelieving spies and the wrath of a nation was on him. And he believed God's promise to be with him when Moses died. He chose, he chose, he chose, and he kept right on choosing to the very end of his life at 110 years old. We need individuals like Joshua, not like Caleb, excuse me, not like Achan. We need individuals like Joshua who will say, I will follow God if everyone else turns away. We need those kinds of people to lead in families, to lead in the church, to lead in our nation. What a contrast. Joshua and Achan. What a contrast. It all depends on the choice that we make. Choose you today whom you will serve. Choose you today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you hadn't got that nailed down, I'd love to chat with you about that. Let's stand for our closing prayer. We continue on our journey. Next week's going to be a sad, a sad page. I'm just giving, telling you in advance. Judges is tough. It's a tough book. Uh, we'll try to get some glimmers of hope in there and, and push on through judges as they, uh, as they possess the land. Father, be at work in our lives. Thank you for powerful examples we have from the Bible, like Achan and Ananias and Sapphira, that warn us, that are a warning to us to not turn away from you and the results of sin when we disobey you. We also thank you for great examples like Joshua, who stood for you for a long time. And people like Rahab, who was an outsider, who didn't have much of a chance, and she got brought into your glorious plan of redemption. What hope it is for us. Thank you. Thank you for your book. Thank you for your truth that you've given to us that gives us light to our path. May we press on for you. In Jesus' name, amen.